This is a good story. It's hard to find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Indeed. Yes. And how, how does this one rate on the reality scale? Well, there's a lot of reality. I don't... Oh, well... Yeah, I mean, the devil's real. Yes, that's for sure. That's for sure. Horrible, <laughs> awful people are real. You bet. You bet. <laughs> Rosemary's um. <laughs> Baby. Rosemary's Baby, the novel, is our subject by Ira Levin. And, um, yeah, it was written in 1967. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I was thinking, somehow I was thinking early 70s. Not that that makes much of a difference time-wise. but I wonder uh, if the movie came out in the early 70s. I don't know how. Oh. Uh, you know, I can remember, you know, in my mind's eye, uh, you know, when I'm reading this book, of course I'm seeing the movie. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the movie is like definitely 60s, early 70s. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in, in all the styles and everything. Um, but reading it, reading it this time, you know, I didn't feel like it was very dated other than the fact, of course, you know, you don't have cell phones and stuff, you know, those, right. those particular things like, um, no internet, no internet for her to look things up on, you know, you could really find a better obstetrician that way <laughs> exactly. than asking the old lady next door. Oh my gosh. You, you get know. the reviews. One star. <laughs> I can't even remember that guy's name, Dr. Abe. (laughs) Stay away. (laughs) One star. Seems satanic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Keeps talking about the devil all the time. Well, of course he doesn't, but... (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's under wraps. That's too fun. That's too fun. So the the movie that um, we just mentioned... Uh, people are always saying that the book and the movie of this are so very close. And I, I do agree with that. Um, the, the movie is very close, but I do like the novel more. Uh, mm. uh, this is the second time I've read this book and I really enjoyed it both times. And I watched the movie after the last time I read it. And that was the first time I'd seen the movie okay. that I recall. But, um, I, th- I thought, you know, I mean, there was like, it was like dialogue lifted right from the novel. I mean, it was just real close. Yeah, and I saw it, you know, sometime after it came out, I guess. Probably it was on TV sometime. That's when I would have seen it. And I don't remember much except Mia Farrow's terrible hair. <laughs> so um, you can't really go by me. <laughs> but Very, I did read yes. that, was it Roman Polanski who directed it? Yes. He would call Ira Levin, the author, and say, do you think she was wearing a yellow dress when this happened? And he's like, I don't know. Oh, wow. You know, so he was trying to get it really close. Yeah. Yeah, I've read uh, some things like that. And um, one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting is I can't remember why he set the book in the year he set it in. But he wanted um, Rosemary's baby to be born on June 25th. Okay. Right. And... Um, he, he calculated back, he said, okay, so nine months earlier would be, you know, around here. And that's when he realized, oh, the Pope visited New York city in that exact time. Oh, and and that is in the book. And that is in the book. So that was an actual event. So the whole thing felt more real, and maybe to Roman Polanski, it felt more real too. And Ira Levin, I recall reading something about he he was disappointed that he had her in the novel reading a magazine that uh, hadn't come out at that exact time. So it was like, oh, I made a mistake here or something like that. But Roman Polanski was asking him all these questions, you know, and mm. you know, trying to really cement it in uh, real history, I guess. Right. And I get, let's talk about some of that later on, um, because I really hadn't thought about the Pope coming, but it kind of brings up the interesting question about Terry, the young girl who's living in the building Mm. when they move in and um, the Catholicism and the way religion is treated in the book. Sure, sure. Hint. Not very positively. <laughs> not very positively, yeah. yeah. This is a, this I, I is don't a, think that's a spoiler. No, of course not. It is a, a group <laughs> of people uh, surrounding our Rosemary, 
our beloved Rosemary, <laughs> uh, they, they were not fans of religion, no doubt. No. Yeah. So let's see. Yeah. Rosemary and her husband, Guy, who's an actor, who's a struggling actor, are looking for a place to live. And they had this place all picked out. And then suddenly there's an opening at this really great place called the Bramford. And they go, look, and it's perfect. The lady just died recently, but everything's been redone or whatever. It's going to be redone. It's wonderful. And they're going to move in. And their friend Hutch, who's an older guy, warns them. He's looked the building up. Terrible things have happened in that building all through its history. And they're like, superstition. We Also, we really want this. We don't care. <laughs> and um, so they move in and... Um, Rosemary has recently quit her job because they got married and she's hoping to have a baby. And um, they meet all the people eventually who are on the floor of their, that they live on. And I think everybody knows the main plot, but, you know, Rosemary gets pregnant. She's going to have a baby and she starts worrying because these people seem kind of weird. Yeah. So she's trying hard to protect herself and her baby. <laughs> There's this progressive, sinister kind of a cloud of conspiracy that just feels like it grows throughout the book and because we're with rosemary the entire book mm -hmm. um it's She's her point of view story. yeah it's her point of view the entire time so she is it, it, it's just becoming more and more clear to her that something's going on and she she can't quite put it all together uh so but that that's that's a growing sinister thing happening in the book yeah, it does. The book does a really good job of pulling you into this web of terror and suspicion yeah. that she's got. And she doesn't know who to trust and things seem suspicious. But as with a lot of these things, they also could be explained away easily. And so you're on her side. And of course, anybody reading the book at this time period already knows everything she's worried about is actually something to be worried about. And um, so as we're looking at it with that dual knowledge, you're just hoping harder and harder and harder for something to come along that she can trust or grasp at. Yeah. Hoping that she'll find somebody that, she, that will help her out. You know? Right. Someone she can trust. And she really, it, it really does a really good job of that, even though I knew the ending right up to the last minute. I, I kept going, well, but what if this happened, <laughs> if that happened, you know. But in many ways, it is like with a 60s New York urban modern young vibe, it is like Let the Right One In, which we just talked about. Indeed. It is about evil. Yeah, it is about evil and uh, and and bad people, <laughs> people yes. that uh, yeah have have not been have have screwed up priorities. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, absolutely, especially her husband, who is an incredible, stunning disappointment. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to worry about spoilers now because we've already right. everybody knows this. And okay, um, so, if, yeah. if if you don't, I'm really sorry, but you you find it out pretty soon. You, so. you would find it out pretty soon. It's not a, yeah. a long book, you know. I, I highly recommend yeah. it. It's about 240 pages. Um, and and it's an I easy have, read. It is an easy read. It is an easy read. So I just before we jump into spoiler territory, the copy that I have has an introduction by Stephen King, and oh. um, he he admires Ira Levin uh, a lot. So this is Stephen King. Stephen King says, Every novel he has ever written, meaning Ira Levin, has been a marvel of plotting. He is the Swiss watchmaker of the suspense novel. <laughs> in terms of plot, he makes what the rest of us do look like those $5 watches you can buy in the discount drugstore. Oh. This fact alone has made Levin almost invulnerable to the depredations of the story changers. So he's talking about uh, people that make movies. You know, mm, okay. Uh, Stephen King actually is is sort of saying that it, they feel obligated to change your story when they buy it. You know, so I don't know what year he bought this in, but Stephen King had had quite a long string of uh, disappointing movies. Uh, yes. Introduction, nineteen eighty one. So yeah, um, yeah. It, it's only been I don't know fairly recently that there, there's been you know within the last fifteen years, let's say. There's been some really good Stephen King movies. Right. Yeah. Right. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there for anybody who hasn't read it, who's thinking about reading it. Um, I would I would recommend it. I think it's a, a very good, quick read. 
Um, oh yeah, yep. and his his books, the ones I've read, are all like that. The you boys read from Brazil. Okay. Oh yeah, the boys from Brazil. I read that when it came out. Everybody was reading that. I was a little disappointed by the ending, but you know, it was very good. And then. Um, Oh, gosh, The Stepford Wives, of course. Now, that one, actually, yeah, that has a movie made of it. Of course, very good movie. Yeah. And um, I feel like there's some other book of his I've read. But anyway, whatever they were, they're iconic books and quite good. And so there you go. Very good. Cool. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to get into spoiler territory because we got okay. plenty to talk about. So let let's, let's start with my initial reaction after reading this book. Mm-hmm. I hated everybody in it, <laughs> except for Rosemary and Hutch as yes. main characters. That's right. There's some other characters that are fine, but they're side characters, really. These people were terrible. They were terrible, especially Guy. So, um, but the, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. So what, what did you make of... I thought that this was interesting. After I read it this time, I, I just kind of thought about it. So Rosemary and Guy are a young couple, right? And they moved mm-hmm. into this building, and on their floor, everybody is older. I know. That's weird. Yeah, I? What do you, I just wondering if you – uh, you know, they were all like elderly folks, you know, especially Minnie and Roman. Um, oh, yeah. They seem to be the, the ringleaders there, but they, well, they were an elderly couple. I just thought that that was interesting. I just thought that it was one of those places where once you live there, it's your home. And so you live there till you die. And the lady that they had lived in their apartment before, she had just died. She was old. Hmm. So I just thought, you know, it's hard to get a, a place there. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Because it's well, a just, well-known. You know, I don't know. I haven't fully thought this through, but it was just... You know, because the author could put anyone he wanted in in those other apartments, mm-hmm. you know, and so I felt like, you know, is he saying something about an older generation and a younger modern generation? Um, How you know, easy it is. Is to... there some sensibilities there that he was comparing or something like that? Oh, whether you're going to be a Satan worshiper because you're old versus <laughs> you're young and you don't believe in that stuff. Uh, maybe so. Yeah. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah. I just think. It was well because they'd all kind of worked together as a coven for a long time anyway. They, they must have been. They must. Have I been. did think yeah. of the gay couple as being middle aged. Mm. I don't know if that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. But that's just how I mentally pictured them for sure. And most of the other people weren't really in there. It was Roman and Minnie. Was that her name? Yeah, Mrs. Cassavet, mm-hmm. who were um, old, and they were the main ones that they interacted with. Yeah, And the only other person who you meet in that building and get to know some is Terry, who also I liked, of course, because she'd been taken in by the Cassavettes and they'd been so good to her and they're wearing this charm. But it was interesting watching her talk to Rosemary in the laundry room. Both of them were ex-Catholics. Yes. And isn't that interesting, too, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because religion is not looked at favorably in this book. And I know when I first read it, I would have been an agnostic. I would have been, for for one thing, um, well, let's see. It It was written in 67? 67, 68. Right. Yeah, so I probably read it in the early 70s when I would have been more in high school. Hmm. So, um, because, you know, before that, I'm not reading that kind of book. But um, so when I was reading it, this is kind of how my family thought about religion. Hmm. You know, it's uh, at one point they talk about it being like a, oh, shoot, what was it? It was like showbiz mm, yeah. everyone's wearing a costume they're all acting out a role they're like oh and the catholics are the worst mm-hmm. you know and so they're kind of gently undermining or encouraging the the way that rosemary and guy feel already about religion and then terry is the one who's you can see she's still open to it she's excited that the pope is going to come to new york yeah and, and i think that that rubs off on um Rosemary. Because oh, do you think I, so? Yeah, I felt that, that there were some times there where Rosemary, you could see, you know, it's like she was raised Catholic and she married this Protestant, which her family wasn't fond of, right? Right. Um, but you could see that inside her were these things. Like she would, because the Pope came to town. We mentioned that a little mm-hmm. bit earlier, right? So the, the Pope, and I think this would have been Pope Paul the Sixth, probably. 
I think so. Yeah, um, that would have been back yes, in two days. For sure. So right. he's visiting um, New York City and she saw him give a speech or heard it on the radio. I can't remember which uh, oh, at right. the UN. And he said something about peace. I don't remember the exact quote. It was like promoting peace. We should all mm-hmm. be peace or whatever. And she would repeat that. She said that to Guy. And I felt it was like a oh, hopeful thing okay. where she was like, this is really great. Look what the Pope is saying. And, you know, Guy's like, you know, yeah, good luck with that. Right. And then <laughs> yeah. when he mentions it or when she mentions it at a, at a dinner with Minnie and Roman, mm-hmm. you know, Roman is, of course, you know, yeah, these guys are all pretending to be religious. People, Good. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So I, I, I felt anyway that Rosemary had this insider and it was trying to come out and it was maybe encouraged by Terry, but it was in there. She yeah. had this Catholic education and she was a little bit proud of it, but she, she married Guy and Guy had no interest in it. And I think that that bothered her a little bit, especially as she started to feel alone. Well, and they're also busy being pseudo-intellectual, maybe. Yeah. We're smarter than that. We're smarter than other people. I feel like that's how Guy and Rosemary both were. Not mm-hmm. Rosemary as much, but she was following Guy's lead. She was. She was. And she was. I think she was malleable kind of all over it's like you know when she's with terry she's like yeah you know you're right and she's with guy and she's yeah you know you're right and then you know even with minnie and roman but i think that that's part of her struggle is by the end of this book she was starting to assert herself right and then Mm -hmm. we got the very end (laughs) yeah well yeah yeah. and then (laughs) well so because at one point the thing i noticed she's um Let's see, the baby, she knows she's pregnant, and she's thinking about all the dangers that a baby has to face in the world and that she's worried about. And she says, if only prayer were still possible, how nice it would be to hold a crucifix again and have God's word. Mm. Ask him for safe passage through the eight more months ahead. No German measles, please. No great new drugs with phalli... um, thalidomide side effects eight good months please free of accident and illness full of iron and milk and sunshine and then she remembers the good luck charm which is the ball of tannis root and she needed to put it on and isn't that that's so perfect you know to me it is exactly what our society has been kind of doing to us right you know we talk about people falling away from religion and stuff we have so many things that have been put in place of that you know it's yes. like she knew what she needed and found a replacement. Yeah. You and know? she'd had that good luck charm. And she says the smell of the tannis root didn't bother her. Yeah. It was strong, but it didn't bother her anymore. Isn't that perfect, course. too? It's like the smell of what people do or the feeling of what they do, this negative, is eventually ignored, right? Because it's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to push that aside. Well, that I wasn't sure if she pushed it aside or if it's the fact that she was pregnant and because the baby is the devil's baby, Mm. that's something that the baby uh, doesn't think smells bad. And it's she's already being influenced in that way, because I felt like also it was that idea of she's wanting to pray. She's wanting to turn back to God. And you're like, oh, here's a door that could be open. And instead what happens is she suddenly remembers the charm. So you feel like that's that little nudge of, oh, you feel like you need something? The charm's right there. (laughs) And so it's the two things. It's what you're saying. Absolutely. I need this charm. But it's also the fact that all it takes is a little nudge to remind you of that stuff. Yeah, very good. And then you fall for it. Yeah, when I read that, that was, to me that stuff was present in her, you know, the, the stuff, mm-hmm. at the begin, you know, the beginning of what you read, it's like, you know, wouldn't it be yeah. great if I could pray? Wouldn't it be great if I could hold the crucifix? So it was like, that was part of the delight of Satan in doing what he was doing. Is, yes. You know, with Terry and Rosemary both. I felt like Rosemary, uh, not Rosemary, sorry, Terry, when I found out when you read about Terry committing suicide, I'd completely forgotten Terry. I read this book, like I said, so mm-hmm. long ago. And um, I felt actually proud of her, even though you're not supposed to commit suicide. Yeah. But you felt like she did it as a positive thing of you're not going to get me for this. Yeah. And you're not going to get this. uh... Well, I don't don't know if if, if she was certain who the baby was, you know, that would 
that would be something too. But it's like well, she was saving other people. Well, yeah, but she, so I'm I'm agreeing with you that it was. Oh no, no! But what I was going to say when you said if she was certain who the baby was after the suicide, let me see if I've marked this. Okay, so after the suicide, Rosemary's having a dream, and her dream is actually what she's overhearing through the wall because you can hear the Cassavetes talking. Yes. Because yeah. later she meets mm-hmm. Mrs. Cassavetes. She goes, for a second, she thought of that dream with Sister Agnes in it. So here's a nun. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like the nuns, so they're, you know, pig-like in this or whatever. And it says, um, if you'd listened to me, we wouldn't have had to do it, Sister Agnes cried in a hoarse Midwestern bray. We'd have been all set to go now instead of starting all over from scratch. Uncle Mike tried to hush her. He was the principal of Our Lady, which was connected by passageways to his body shop in South Omaha. So that's the dream part. I told you not to tell her anything in advance, Sister Agnes hmm. continued lower. Piggy eyes glinting hatefully at Rosemary. I told you she wouldn't be open-minded. Time enough later to let her in on it. And Rosemary's connecting this with something that happened actually in her youth with this nun um, disciplining her. But this is clearly... Um, showing us this is why Terry committed suicide. And it says, um, anybody, anybody, Sister Agnes said, all she has to be is young, healthy, and not a virgin. She doesn't have to be no good drug addict whore out of the gutter. Didn't I say that in the beginning? Anybody, as long as she's young and healthy and not a virgin. And so this is kind of a brilliant way to set up. Oh, and here's Rosemary, young and healthy and not a virgin. And so, of course... The not a virgin. What was the what was the important thing about the Virgin Mary? <laughs> I mean, that's not the only important thing, but that's clearly part of it, because Jesus can't possibly be anyone else's child. Yeah, he is God's child. That's right. Yeah, who asks permission, and the Holy Spirit overshadows her, whatever that entails. But you know, and that's it. Instead of in the book where the coven has to participate, Satan comes down and rapes her, and then Guy covers. Because Guy's there, and he covers for it by going, oh, well, you know, it's <laughs> kind of great in this necrophiliac way. And I'm like, oh, because oh, <laughs> yeah. That was, that was horrible. I mean, I, I just oh. could only imagine what she felt at that time, you know, and I know the author described because we're in her head. Yeah. Um, which is She's probably why I like the book better than the movie is. Mm-hmm. We're in her head, you know, and we're yeah. hearing those thoughts, you know, especially at the end. It's like, what in the heck was she thinking that led her to the to that? Even though, yeah. So the, um, but yeah, but that's perfect. So, so that's so we Terry. know that's, we know that Terry. She knew. knew. Yeah, we know that they Terry told knew. her, and therefore she was she in her head. This is saving the world right here. She was escaping, yeah. right? She's like, you're not going to be able to use me or find me or catch me or the baby. If she right. Knows who the exactly. Baby is, then yeah, it's exactly. Well, it. it's like protection. yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, she was a a big damn hero for doing what she was. She did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, even though you know that's horrible. Yeah, things are moral morally difficult at that point, isn't it? <clears throat> so, well, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, she was doing what she was she could for the best. So right, right. Um, and so she provides an interesting lead-in to Rosemary's experience because Rosemary is trusting Guy. Yes, not God, Guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which, that's so, true. so it's interesting that it's Rosemary that wants to go to this building so bad. Guy is like, oh, it's going to cost me more money, you know. And, oh, and yeah, so, you're right. So we know that Guy is not in on anything at the beginning. No. Then they end up in the thing, and he basically gets recruited. But there, he's easy to recruit because he's like the, possibly the most selfish guy I've ever heard of. Oh my gosh! So he he, yes. he wants he wants to be rich and famous. Um, he wants to be an actor, and he is a hundred percent willing to give rosemary to this coven in these ways that we've already described in order to get it. You know, deal deal with the devil story. Yeah, Faust. Yep. But you're you're promising someone else instead of your own soul, although that's surely part of it. Eventually, yes. <laughs> you're yeah. you're promising your wife. Your wife. Yeah. And I mean, come on, that's just. Uh, I can't. 
it, he's contemptible. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is to see the depths he's willing to go to because first, isn't it that the his main rival in acting is getting all the roles he's going up for, <laughs> the guy's going up for? Yes, yes. And don't they strike him blind first? They do. Yeah, they strike him blind. So, yeah, I, I remember um, them going to a dinner party with Roman and Minnie. Yes. And I remember after the dinner party, Minnie doing the dishes and taking an awful long time about it while Roman talks to Guy. Yes. And I yeah. think that's the point at which he is recruited. Because yes. there is some point at which uh, there's a ritual that occurs that, you know, uh, we don't get to see or anything. But um, she puts that together at the end. She puts that together at the end where... She's like, that night he came back and he smelled like Tannis root. And mm-hmm. it wasn't another woman he was with or whatever else she had been thinking and afraid of. She was like, did something happen that night? And, and it did. And she's noticing by the end, she's noticing, oh, right. And they took one of Hutch's gloves. Yes. And right. they took one of this guy's possessions and they took whatever it was, you know. Yeah. Um, I know because I was thinking about the dinner that is, is it her birthday on that night when that happens? Um, when the satanic inception happens or conception mm-hmm. happens? Um and she's made a special dinner for whatever reason, and he's supposed to pick up his favorite pie oh, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it was it was them. They had just decided to it was going to be baby night, oh, so they had decided that they were going to start working on having a kid. And yeah, and, and it so was the right she, time of month. And yeah. yes, okay. And so, but when he doesn't, I went right past two pie shops, and then and then uh, Minnie brings over the chocolate mousses and yes. each one has a different topping so you can tell which is which and hers tastes kind of chalky and i'm like oh dear lord and oh, so you that, know even that was horrible you know right and i'm like that's why he didn't bring the pie oh my gosh i mean those are the times where you're fed these nuggets of information in perfect ways because you know you pretty much know what's going on i mean i think the covers of the books had you know yeah. the little the little baby with you know uh, the mm-hmm. glow coming out of the carriage or whatever it is and um anyway so it's so well put together you know the it fact really it's is. like yeah. like he says like a swiss watchmaker every piece you know when she's like it tastes terrible so she puts the last few mouthfuls in a napkin and pretend she ate it <laughs> that's why she's half conscious and yeah. she knows what's is she dreamily uh, knows what's going on. Yep. And she sees the eyes. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yes. Horrible. Horrible. But yeah. yeah. And Guy, you know, oh, you just want to just, uh, he's just like, come on, it's not chalky. Yes. He's, he's, he's the like, worst person in the book. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is the worst person in the book. That's right. <laughs> the worst person in the book, for sure. Well, and the other thing is, is once again, so Rosemary's cut off from her family. Because of whatever reasons. There's one brother she gets along with. Yeah. Everybody else is, you're she, married to a Protestant yeah, or whatever exactly. it is. Yeah, it's, it's a religion that kind of splits that too. So. Mm-hmm. So she's cut off from her family. She did have friends that she worked with, but she's not working anymore. I mean, the one time we see the friends is when they throw that party and they see her and they go, oh my gosh, you look terrible. Yeah. What is- and so they kind of get into, they get her into a room and they won't let Guy in. And he's insisting, and they're like, just go away. This is girl talk. And they're like, go to a different doctor. Yeah. You know, they're encouraging her to do the right thing. And, and you know, they're taking care of her in the way that Guy should. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And she's saying, I won't have an abortion. And they're like, who said anything about that? <laughs> All we said was, Get some help so you feel better. We're not saying get rid of the baby. And I thought, you know, one thing I liked about that, not only was the friendship of the girls, which it's too bad she didn't seek them out again. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are the bits of normalcy of, of, that she can trust in their reactions. Yes. And um, and you can see by contrast, he's very good at showing Guy and Mrs. Cassavet, all people like that who are pushing against it. Hmm. No, no, use our doctor. No, no, take this special shake that, you know, that I insist that you drink. For what purpose? I don't know. Maybe so she can eat more raw meat. (laughs) Anyway, so, um, but again, we come down to a lack of community. She's isolated on this, in this apartment building with all these creepy old people, even if they're not a coven, they're creepy. And nobody her own age but Guy. Mm -hmm. And 
then she's vulnerable that way. Yeah. And, and she doesn't and, have anything to turn to. Right. Yeah. And, and you go back to, you know, she wanted to be in that building. Right. Yeah. So it was like, so whatever it is that she wanted out of that building wasn't even the right choice because she lost community. She lost everything that she needed That's to true. survive. And, and, you know, and that was kind of her doing that. But then, um, I, I love the, you know, her friends and that I loved how, you know, Levin portrays, you know, her with her doctor and her doctor explaining, Hey, this is normal. You know, mm-hmm. she's in, she's in great pain. Um, he says, oh, it's just your hips and, and this and that, right. and this is just normal. And then she she finally gets to talk with her friends, and her friends are like, you've been in pain for since when? But it's yeah. it's incredible how, you know, she was really trusting of that doctor at the beginning. And then, um, you know, her friends are kind of snapping that out of it, you know, snapping her out of that. Right. And it's just... I think it just illustrates something that that happens to us or that we can all fall into where um, we're just listening to the wrong people and we're, we listen to the wrong people on various subjects or whatever, and we can end up going down the wrong path. And um, again, it takes the right community to pull you out of that. Well, that's really a good point because she is in a community. It's just a community that doesn't care about her at all. Right. Yeah, they're, they're using her. Mm-hmm. For, as a tool for their own ends. That's, that's, yeah, you're right. She's in the wrong community. And you had said, when you were thinking about this book after reading it, it made you think of um, cults. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about cults with this. Um, I guess because you don't actually see them together and you don't see them. I tend to think of them like um, luring you in, making you believe what they believe, because, you know, when I was younger and growing up and all this stuff, you know, we had the Moonies. We had the, um, was it Jim Jones in Guyana? Mm, yeah. Um, that stuff, I remember when that stuff broke on TV. I was with my yeah. family during the oh, summer, wow. and we couldn't believe our eyes and ears. We couldn't even understand what they were talking about. It was such a foreign concept that we just had to keep turning in channels and watching until somebody could explain it in a way. Because to think that you would, why would you believe somebody like this? We couldn't grasp it. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm, I'm living uh, just up the road from where Warren Jeffs hung out, you know, and, um, and Warren, Jeffs. Warren Jeffs. So he's like the fundamentalist uh, Mormons. Oh, uh, remember he had multiple yes. wives and he's in prison right now. Oh, yes. Um, yes. But he spent time in Texas, time in Utah. And then on, if you go north of here, um, there was a woman, um, I think her name was Tara Westover, wrote a book called yeah. Educated. That's just like okay. 50 miles from me. I mean, it's not, not even. Okay. Yeah. So cultish stuff is happening, you know, very near me. Uh, well, yeah. I live near Waco, yeah, Texas. There you go. Yeah. So you had the Branch Davidians, and I remember watching that on. That was happening on TV, and my mom's calling me, going, and I think I 1993, so I was living here, <laughs> and I didn't really know where Waco was till then. And I looked at a map and went, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's just it's like this book in that sense of it's in a place that seems so normal. Yeah, it's just the road down the highway there, right? And, I, and I often wonder, you know, how does a person move from normalcy, quote unquote, whatever the heck that means, mm-hmm. to sitting on a couch with someone like Roman Castavet and nodding and saying, you know, you're right. This makes perfect sense to me and it's something I should do. Yeah. It's, it's a stunning thing that happens in real life and well, um, it's amazing, you know. Don't you think, though, it goes back to some of the realizations that Rosemary has about Guy's personality? Yes. When she goes out to that cabin by herself. Yeah. And I'm looking for. And I think you do, you do, you always have to arrive at power, you know? Um, Yes. It's like, you know, you, you find the right person who, you know, they're using this to get something that they want, you know, it's, it's not really a genuine belief. It's not like, Oh no. You know what I mean? It's, it's a power thing. But I think then things happen that make you believe. And if you're of the right mindset, I mean, and I'm talking about cults in general, not about guy. Um, 
And of course, they're preying on people who are kind of primed for that because people want love. People want to belong. I mean, this is part of what's good about humanity, Mm. to be around people who love you and who you love and who you can trust and who will take care of you. And when you want that so desperately and somebody can see that and preys on you like the wolf, they know just how to get to you and to get you to believe the lie. And again, evil is that distortion of what's really good. Right. And that's used, of course, in Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Rosemary loves Guy Mm -hmm. and wants to have a baby, which he resisted. He didn't want to have a baby. When his career's set, when he's making money, all the things, because he's ultimately Mm self-centered. It's only when they move into that building and he gets into the Satan, Satanic coven, that he's, oh, sure. So what I was saying about her being in the cabin it says on the third day she thought about him guy that is he was vain self-centered shallow and deceitful he had married her to have an audience not a mate little miss just out of omaha what a goop she had been oh i'm used to actors i've been here almost a year now and she had all but followed him around the studio carrying his newspaper in her mouth she would give him a year to shape up and become a good husband. And if he didn't make it, she'd pull out and with no religious qualms, whatever. So that means, of course, Oof. as you would say, she was she was feeling him already. Yeah. And then she's and meanwhile, she'd go back to work and get again that sense of independence and self-sufficiency she'd been so eager to get rid of. She would be strong and proud and ready to go if he failed to meet her standards. And so this is the thing where she's been away from everybody and she's thinking for herself again. Right. She's seeing clearly for the first time probably since she fell in love with Guy. And it doesn't mean Guy can't improve and become a better person. You know. Sure. Mm-hmm. We all have those moments when we go, oh, I, you know, I, I thought this person was like this. And I'm not talking about my husband. I'm just talking about people. Yeah. Right. And, oh, gosh, they're like that. Well, okay, I can live with that. Or I can't. <laughs> but, you know. I, I think Guy has done uh, at least two things that are not recoverable. <laughs> <laughs> in a relationship, you know, you can forgive him, yes. but man, you'd never yeah. trust him no. again. And then, no, you can't forgive him for that. I was just thinking yeah. of things like friends yes, or um, yes. there's a quote from somebody who says, you know, there's a point when every wife realizes her husband is 80% everything she wants and 20% things she can't stand, right? <laughs> and he says, <laughs> and he says, the the unhappy woman will try to fix the 20% or the unhappy wife will try to fix the 20%. The wife who wants to have a good marriage and be happy will be happy with the 80% oh, and just not worry about the 20%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the quote is by Elizabeth Elliot's husband. And Elizabeth Elliot is somebody who wrote um, maybe in the earlier 1900s um, religious books. And maybe her husband actually was a missionary or something. But anyway, I should have looked all that up, but this, mm. I just quoted it off the top of my head because it's so wise. It's that way with most of your friends uh, and and most of life, really. Yeah. If you've got 80% going good, you know, just live with the 20%. Mm-hmm. That can be your mortification. Beautiful. Yeah, I think yeah. that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. But she's got 80% terrible and maybe 20% good. Yeah. This is time to reevaluate. And unfortunately, <laughs> that she soon loses that idea. But right. Anyway. Yeah. Yes, I think we're agreed. Guy is the villain. <laughs> Guy. Guy is the villain, right? Yeah. Well, and this brings up something that I mentioned a little while ago, just before we were recording. So, um, Satan. <laughs> Satan in this book dehumanizes, and this is something actually I emailed you, and he uses everyone in the story, even Guy, who's the opposite of a good husband. Mm. Look what Guy is forced to do to get his dream job. Mm. He's doing this to his wife in front of all these witnesses. Yeah. And, I mean, this is totally the opposite of, um, it's emasculating. You know, really. And it says, how much more contempt could Satan show for him? Hmm. You will do this and I will watch you crawl. Yeah. To give me what I want. And I'll make you do it in front of witnesses. And then you're going to live and watch this woman with my baby, says Satan, live with you. 
And so then what I thought of was if what Satan does is twist everything that's good, um, think of Joseph and Mary. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Joseph totally was obedient to God, totally took care of Mary and Jesus. You know, he has a dream about you better get out because they're coming for you guys. He gets up in the middle of the night and they're out of there. It doesn't matter how hard it is, what he would rather be doing, all the dreams he had for being married to Mary, those are, is fine. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it wasn't hard, but he did it because that's a real man. Yeah, that's beautiful. Love that. I love that. Yeah, because this is a complete distortion of the story of Christ's conception and incarnation. Hmm. The devil can't do it using a Holy Spirit because the devil is a creation himself, a creature himself. The devil is not opposite to God. The devil is not equal to God. Mm-hmm. And right. the devil is... And I don't think the author was thinking of all that stuff. But I look at it, and he, he did he did say in an interview, he goes, I was really worried about what the pushback would be because I knew what I was doing to the story of Jesus and Mary. <laughs> See, and I think, yeah, that's that's remarkable because he did a really good job with it. If if he, yeah. what he's doing is the opposite, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, yeah, Joseph was the most unselfish person. Mm-hmm. And Guy is the most selfish person. Yeah. And then the conception is completely different. And in both um, of them, the Mary, wives are trusting the husbands. Right. And Mary was asked, God asked permission. her permission, right? Yeah. And the yeah. devil did not ask for permission. No, it was forced upon her. She was right. tricked and yeah. drugged mm-hmm. and raped. Right. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. That's, that's I think, yeah, because what it does is it makes you realize the beauty and purity of that story mm-hmm. of Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Yeah. 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 I've always, of course, like, like everybody, I mean, that's just such a perfect, pure story, but this, this by contrast really shows you that story in God's to, for God's glory, mm. the respect that he gives to Mary and Joseph Joseph's not told he has to do anything, but he's given that dream and says, here's the deal. And he goes, oh, okay. Yeah. And he's in. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Jesus comes as the regular baby, and this baby does not. <laughs> this baby does not, right. Yeah. This baby is visibly what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I've read before and I hadn't thought about this, but the church fathers or, you know, other very wise people like that had said that Jesus must have looked a lot like Mary because the Holy Spirit is not doing anything with, you know, human DNA. Mm-hmm. It would have been Mary's egg. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, Oh yeah. Huh. <laughs> completely human, complete, holy human and holy divine. That's right. That's which right. totally blows the mind. But, you know, that's the thing where this Rosemary's baby is obviously demonic. Right. Yeah, it is. It is not an amazing thing. <laughs> right. Right. No. It's, it's the opposite of that. Right. It's horrible. Yes. It's one thing and one thing only. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I'm just sitting here thinking to see if I can think of any other parallels, but that's that's remarkable and you know, so that that is what this is illustrating even if it's not on purpose is mm-hmm. the beauty and goodness of what actually happened. You know, so um yeah, I think that's remarkable. You know, again, you know, we were talking last time when we were talking about let the right one in about um evil being the absence of good, you know, evil is not its own thing, yeah. it's, you know, cause everything God creates is good. So therefore it's, uh, this absence, something's missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no matter what Satan can try to do, it's not going to be anything near what God did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a parody. It's a, yeah. yeah it's, it's just a, some kind of a mimicking, you know, yeah, because he's not God. No, he's not. And I'm, it's nice that uh, it was portrayed that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Because, yeah. yeah, he didn't. Satan in this story doesn't have the same power. He just doesn't. No. You know? He's, he's got to yeah. work through people, and there are people giving cooperation, but these are people cooperating um, to provide an innocent victim. Right. An innocent forced victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the people that are using their free will are is not her. <laughs> no. Everybody but her. No. You know? Yeah, and, uh, exactly. She's doing everything she can to save the life of her child because right up to the end, I thought it was very clever for her clever of her to say, oh my gosh, they wanted the baby so they could sacrifice it. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting thing too. That That's why, you know, I was wondering about Terry, but you, you illustrated it perfectly what was going on. But mm-hmm. Rosemary never knew. She never knew for sure what was going on. She thought that they wanted her baby, which right. they did, but she didn't understand why, <laughs> yeah. she, you know? So, you know, she, she should have, you know, she was thinking about how do I get out of this? She yeah. was never th- thinking until the very end that maybe I need to end this. Well, um, yeah, because the thing with, I think with Terry, they learned their lesson. Right. Yeah. When, when Mrs. Cassavette is saying, I told you, don't tell her. (laughs) Right. So the only way we can get through this is with lies. Yeah. Lies is what we got to do, you know, and how. So they got guys cooperation. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Something else This kind of made me think in a way of like the haunting of Hill House Mm. or the shining. Because this is just a touch from the beginning where Hutch is saying, are you sure you want to move into the Bramford? And he has them come to lunch specially so he can go look at all the horrible things and the awful people and what they've done who've lived in this building since it was built. (laughs) So this goes way back before Roman and Minnie or Cassavet or whatever. And so, you know, there's... Something wrong with the building, you think? Yeah, something wrong with the building. And his uh, his father was into it. Roman Castavet's father, right? Oh, Castavet. Okay, Castavet. I've been saying it wrong the yeah, whole time. Yeah, but it's, uh, remember it was an anagram for something. I can't even remember what it's an anagram of, but. Yeah, for the, whatever the father's name would have been yeah, for him. So, yeah, so, right. So he, um, yeah, it, it runs in his family, right? Well, that, yeah, and that but, runs but you're in right. his you're family. Talking about the building itself, you know. But the building, yeah. an, an inordinate number of people have committed suicide there, and there was somebody, some cannibals who lived there and ate children, mm-hmm. like the Trevor sisters or something like that. And so all these people, and I think that was before. I, I just think it was a building that kind of attracted evil. And and when Hutch is talking about it, they're like, oh, really? Do you think that's so? And he goes, well, I don't know. Maybe somewhere mm-hmm. there's buildings that attract good. Yeah. Where everybody who lives there is happy and it's always nice and, you know, why There's not? Those those are the thin places, right? Right. <laughs> the thin places, you know, so this is the opposite of that. Or, well, it's yeah. a thin place for evil or who knows what because they don't really go into it. And I was kind of interested that he, the author, I think, is he kind of, well, in order to pull you through the story, because you can't go through just feeling bleak the whole time. Well, I guess you could, but he doesn't make you. He gives you hints of hope. So Hutch is like, you've got to meet me. I have to talk to you. Yes. Yeah, after he's looked up Tannis Root and some other things and the anagram he finds, all that stuff. <laughs> and then, of course, he's in a coma the next morning. And then, yeah. oh, he left you a book right before he died. The last thing he did, this is how important it was, he woke up out of his coma and said, give her this book. Give her this book. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and so, so you feel... Yeah, so you feel like that's divine intervention or something because also the sister who she hadn't gotten along with for a really long time calls her up at one point and says, it's the day they're going to have the party for making the baby and says, are you okay? Because I I have a bad feeling Mm -hmm. like you're going to get hit by a car or be in an accident or like something's happening and I want want to warn you, don't go out. Just Unfortunately, she doesn't, but (laughs) she, but so she's getting these little hints of hope. Yeah. And that's part of the suspense of the whole thing is (laughs) as readers, we were sussing out what's going on and she's not quite, you know, she just knows that this is bad. <laughs> you know, she's like, right. Just, just this growing feeling of, uh, uncorrectness or incorrectness. Yeah. And you, you just keep rooting, you know, oh, Hutch, you know, Hutch will help. And then she finds a oh, doctor, yeah. Dr. Hill. And it's like, Oh, Dr. Hill will help. 
you know, so um, he was terrible. He was he was a bad man too. You know, it's like well, why why couldn't he have done something different, right? But um, you know, <laughs> well, yeah. I honestly thought I didn't remember the these details. So she's gone to him. She's told him everything. He's like, well, just wait in here for a while. Just calm down and rest, and everything will be okay. I'll take care of it. I just thought he was going to go, okay, your wife is really overwrought and you need to take care of her. Let's take her to a hospital or let's do something like this and like lock her up or whatever. No, he's like, oh, yes, sir, to the other doctor. So he's in on it too. And I'm like, what is going on with this this city? Everybody here is a Satanist. What's going on? (laughs) Oh. Oh, that's too bad. And I don't even know if, if Dr. Hill, did we, did you have a clear indication that he was in on it? Well, I thought that. Hold on one second. Let me just look. Yeah, because um, if you do, that's awesome. I didn't think that he was. I simply just felt that it was him just saying, "Oh, this is just a crazy person," and uh, you know, I know this doctor. Let me go ahead and call him up, and you know, we'll figure this out. You know, okay, like a hold on. But if he was really a sick, maybe person. that's it. Um, and you're right. You know what? I guess you're right because I'm looking it up, and. Thank you for your trouble, Dr. Dr. Saperstein said. And Guy said, it's a shame you had to come in here. And I'm glad I could be of help, sir, Dr. Hill said to Dr. Saperstein, opening the door. And I took that as I'm in on it, too. But you're right. Actually, all that means is he did exactly what I was thinking before, which is, (laughs) okay, you're a little hysterical. Let's get some people in to help. But, you know, is that the right way to treat somebody who's hysterical, calling the people oh, they're the it, most it afraid of? Be. It wouldn't be unless, you know, Saperstein was a colleague of his that he knew really well. And he was like, just didn't believe that mm-hmm. Saperstein would do such a thing. And he's just like, yeah, oh, this is there's something wrong here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So he just he, you know, he was an un, unwitting accomplice, I guess, is how I. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, well, let me ask you about the end of this book. Oof, yep. <laughs> Disappointing as hell. That's the <laughs> What happens to Rosemary? Yeah. She's ready to kill the baby, and then she starts thinking on the way, well, it's half human, too. It's part yeah. mine. And I'm thinking, yeah. I guess this is uh, influenced from Satan? I think so. I think so. I, I thought that her – I remember um, – you know, the, the reading the book and then watching the movie, um, again, I think that's a, the biggest difference you can have between the two is okay. this sudden change of hers without knowing what's in her head very specifically um, felt much less believable in the movie, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So then when you read the book, you know, you're like listening to her thoughts and she's like, okay, so I'm here in this room. I'm surrounded by these people. And my baby's right over there. Here's my list of options, you know. And she's thinking, okay, so right now I can take the baby and I can jump out the window. Um, I'm going to have to hurt this person. I can grab a knife, you know. And she's thinking Mm -hmm. through all this. And then it's like her thinking changes. And and it's just just like what you just said there. Suddenly it's just like she's going down this train of thought. And somehow it's like she changes and I do think that that's influence. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it's pretty clear that that's exactly what's going on there. And Is, I you know, think Satan it's... needs her, you know, he needs the, her milk and all this stuff. It's like, and, and they're all bickering, you know, like, uh, I forget what the mm-hmm. lady's name was that was rocking the, the baby, but it was like clear that she didn't want anything to do with Rosemary. Rosemary could just leave. You know, um, that's what she wanted. She wanted to care for the baby, but right. you know, she was a little crazy anyway, but well, the, <laughs> a lot crazy. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, touch. but I thought, I thought how it was written was actually really well done. When I read through that, it's like, he just, he, he has her going down these thoughts that you'd think that she'd have. And then suddenly changing course but it's like it's it, there's no gap in the line of thinking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm. how he did it. He wrote it, and you can follow her complete line of logic. And as you're reading it, you're going, "Oh no, oh no, oh no!" I know. She's getting, she's coming to this conclusion, and uh, you know the reader gets to it right before she does, and it's like, "Oh my goodness!" 
this is what's well i wonder too if i wondered if the baby himself was influencing that's what i'm thinking you know that influence is definitely part of it yeah because i had been thinking of it coming from outside like from satan but now it's like yeah because at one point she's tying his gown more comfortably poor little creature he couldn't be all bad he just couldn't even if he was half satan wasn't he half her as well, half decent, ordinary, sensible human being, mm-hmm. if she worked against them, exerted a good influence to counteract their bad one? And I thought, mm. she's saying that to herself, but we know it's not going to be that way. Yeah, we did. Because at the end, she's going, come on, little funny eyes, Andy, can you smile? Can you smile mm-hmm. for mommy? You know? Yeah. And insists on calling him Andy instead of... Uh, yeah, Andrew John <laughs> instead of Adrian. Adrian, right. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Fascinating. And she's exerting her influence as his mother. That's right. We're not even going to talk about this. He can't wear black all the time. We've got to get him some new clothes. She's she's completely under the thrall, I yeah. would say. That's what I think, too. And it's, it's appropriate, but... Mm-hmm. Disappointing. Very much. Yeah, well, yeah, very much like let the right one in. It's bleak. It's bleak. In that sense. And the the end of this is as bleak as that, you know, where you're like, well, you know, it's kind of like write your own ending here. Um, Although he wrote a book, he wrote a book called Son of Rosemary much later. I have no Mm -hmm. idea if it's worthwhile. Um, Mm. I've never heard of anyone who's read it, so I don't know. Um, Let's see. Yeah, Son of Rosemary. I think it was written in the 80s. Let's see, 1997. 97, wow. Let's see. She had a coma. Oh, she was going to run away with the baby. Sorry for anybody who wanted to read it. (laughs) Spoilers. Yeah. She wakes up from a coma that the coven cast her into. She recovers after the... And Andy's been raised by Minnie and Roman Castavet. Wow. She recovered after the last member died. He's now 33. He's the popular and charismatic leader of a charitable organization. He says, I rebelled against them. But then all these things happen, and she's like, oh, crap. He's really the Antichrist. Um, And a candle lighting event (laughs) for the new millennium unleashes a deadly virus that destroys all human life. And Satan returns to Earth and drags Rosemary to hell. She wakes up to find it's 1965. She's still married to Guy. The events of the first and second books have been a vivid dream. They receive a call from Hutch. Who offers them rent-free apartment in the Dakota Apartments, which is the model for the Bramford. Uh Uh-huh. For one year, they're delighted at the offer until Hutch makes a remark about lighting candles and roast mules that causes Rosemary to regard her dream as possible forewarning oh my goodness, of future events. <clears throat> oh, no, yeah. this is Dallas when Bobby was <laughs> shot or whatever his name was. And then mm. it was all a dream. No, wow. thank you. Wow. So it suggests maybe the ending is that Satan does kill her and drag her to hell and she's in purgatory or something. (laughs) Something like that. It it doesn't say Mm -hmm. what the reaction was to this book. I feel like it should have been left the way it was, frankly. I do too. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but he he wrote this 30 years (laughs) later. This really sounds like he's reaching at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, thank you. Let's see. He passed away in 2007. Oh, okay. Yeah. Rest in peace. Ira Levin. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. Did, so we found the ending disappointing. I found the lack of any true help for Rosemary fighting this thing to be um, disappointing because I feel like, of course, I keep thinking of Let the Right One in, which I feel like you chose these separately, but they worked well together. But she'd have these hints but nothing really ever happens. Mm. All it does is give her a little bit more information about what's going on. And so I'm like, I would have liked to see, even if evil wins, a good fight or some help or something. Yeah. And um, it's funny because after William Peter Blatty read this book, he was infuriated. <laughs> and he wrote The Exorcist. Wow. He was like, yeah, he was like, this was so secular. And so wrong in so many ways. And as a Catholic, he thought he was writing a supernatural detective story. Um, And even when he and the director were both then, after the book, working together on the movie, they both kind of felt like that. And (laughs) 
<laughs> like how can you know what you were shooting, right? You saw the pictures, right? But um, but it was directly a counterattack, an answer, you know, the answer movie thing and book to this book. Yes, that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, I mean, what did he feel like he was answering? Was it that? Um, it's Satan? secular. There's no God. So Satan um, wasn't. Uh, that Satan got to win. Well, okay, that Satan got to win. You know, I'm just wondering, you know, like if, you know, the exorcist well, think- was portraying, you know, demons, you know, and possession and um, uh-huh. infestation, you know, the, these kinds of things. But think of what happens. So think just the bare bones. You've got this little girl innocently playing with a Ouija board. She opens the door to being possessed. They try all the medical stuff. And finally, her mother, who's not religious, says, oh, my gosh, we've got to do something. And a local priest says, I think she's possessed. And she's like, all right, let's go with that. What do we do? Mm -hmm. So they call in a priest who is – he has the the classic flaw or whatever. So he's more vulnerable. So then they get in, you know, the old experienced priest, right? Right. And um, he – knows how to fight the devil. And so there is the sensationalist part of the exorcism and stuff, but a lot of this was taken from real-life exorcist cases. Sure, you bet, you bet. And so what they're showing in the book is what Satan's really like, what this kind of thing is really like. And also so that's what that the exorcist be, was, was him, right. him saying, this is what it's really like, not this like This is what, what it's doing. really like. Yeah. Also, these two priests... Uh, okay, stop listening if you don't want to know what happens. But, you know, one of them dies in order to save the little girl. Yeah. So you've got this sacrifice. Got allies, right. Yeah, you have allies. You have people who are fighting to the death mm. for to save this child. Which was missing for good. in Rosemary, right? So, yes, yeah. and good is allowed to win. Yeah. Because good can win no matter how bad the devil is. And good is and always so he was just win. I mean, right. at the end, right? Well, ultimately, ultimately yes. Right. Uh, so that's what he was saying is he's like, these are the real facts of the case. You're a completely secular agnostic or atheist Jewish man, whatever it is. Because the other thing is, is I read a couple of interviews with Ira Levine or Levin or whatever, mm-hmm. that he... What he was sorry, he was kind of sorry he wrote the book because he said it spawned things like the exorcist, the omen, all these things. And he said, I don't believe in Satan, but these movies pushed belief in Satan. And so you had fundamentalist Christians going, see, (laughs) this is true. And he hated that. Mm. And so, um, he wished that he'd never written it because he said this this just opened the door for people to believe a lot of stuff that's wrong. And I was saying this at the dinner table because I was saying, oh, we're going to talk about this on the podcast. And my mother <laughs> said, oh, yeah, I'm sure he was crying while he was sleeping on his big bed of money. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> <he> was- <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, I don't want to hear it. Mm. You know, he got yeah. his reward. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought it was so funny because the exorcist, Rosemary's Baby is still mentioned a lot for horror movies and books. Yeah. But the the biggie, the big daddy of them all is the exorcist. Mm-hmm. Both ways for horror. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And um, mm. yeah, I find it terrifying so i i can't watch it really and I've, have you ever seen I read it the, yes but it was a long time ago and i kind of watched while i was with a bunch of friends so i didn't have to watch all of it yeah, but i read yeah. the book when it came out because my parents were like oh whatever's at the library is fine that's when you could say that kind of thing more yeah and i was in high school or junior high maybe and um i Remember, it was so good, and I read it at a dead heat, and it was summer, so mm. I could just stay up. And I think I finished it about 2 in the morning because I was an idiot. Why would you do that? <laughs> and mm. I remember having this dream about levitating around the house and telling my mother, I'm possessed. It's the devil. You've got to get a priest in here to help me. And my mm. mom's going, oh, that's just a phase teenage girls go through. You'll get over it. <laughs> the old need a priest phase? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> The old I'm possessed, I'm levitating phase. We all do it. Oh, boy. That's too good. Yeah, last last year I read read The Exorcist and then um, Legion. Yeah, there was Legion and Demeter. I think you I read had, Demeter. Yeah, I think you recommended Demeter at one point. I liked Demeter. Yeah, How I liked was it? Too. I liked it. 
Yeah. Okay. Yep. How was The Exorcist? It's good. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. it. You know, to me, okay. it, it's... Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not the best written novel on the planet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, you know, just the ideas in it and stuff. It's it's not unlike, you know, a piece of older science fiction where um, kind of reading it for the ideas in it, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of similar. That's how I looked at it. But, but yeah, I thought it was uh, very good. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you've certainly covered the... um Evil, pure evil, evil this month. Evil, that's right. That's, evil. that's what we were going for. It's a pure evil. <laughs> it is pure evil. Pure evil. That's right. <laughs> so I'm going to yes, be going it's... to Washington, D.C. Uh, last week of October. Oh. And this time, I get to, I, I've suddenly got to go there a few times over the last several years. But um, I want to find those stairs, the stairs from the Exorcist movie. Oh. They're in Washington, D.C. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. There you go. I'll find them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll be your October connection, your, your real right. life physical connection. Yeah, that's right. And I last like time I was there, I went to the John Paul II shrine. Oh, and then, yeah. Um, this time there's another one. There's a Marian shrine. I can't remember the name of it, but found, oh. another, found another church to go find. So. Excellent. Yes, super fun. Yes, especially after reading all these books. I That's feel right. like you need to go to a lot of churches. We both That's, do. Yeah, believe me. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> well, shall we end this with another prayer to St. Michael? Oh, I think we need it. Let's yes. Do it. <laughs> Good idea. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who roam throughout the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. That's such a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I don't think we'll need it for the next. No, I That's I, two in a row. I doubt that we will. <laughs> so the next one is uh, <laughs> Reclaiming Vatican II by Father Blake Britton. Love it. So that'll yeah. come out on All Souls Day or All Saints Day. I'm sorry. All oh, Saints Day, November 1st. How yeah. appropriate. Yes, perfect. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think I realized it was the 60th anniversary of Vatican II this year. Oh, wow. Perfect. Clearly, that's why the book came out when it did. I mean, I, I think he was writing. I think he was writing it anyway, but surely the timing is not accidental. But yeah. Um, yeah. That's so good. We're Looking gonna... forward to that. Yeah. And then the one after yeah. that that you mentioned, uh, Miss Bunkle's Book by D.E. Yes. Stevenson. And I know nothing about that one. Okay, let me just say it was time to lighten things up a little Fantastic. bit. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> yes, it will definitely lighten things up. Well, all it's all about community, good and bad. Uh, I love it. A little village and Very a book. Good. Very good. So, yes, right, cool. yes. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Yes, thank you. And be careful out there and uh, enjoy the rest of your October. <laughs> Be careful what you read and say the St. Michael prayer a lot, <laughs> a lot. Absolutely. And, yes. And um, so we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. You bet. We'll okay. do. See you later, All everybody. Right. Okay. Bye. Bye.